So if you've missed the, the past couple of weeks, we've been working through uh, our vision series. We believe that at the start of this year, God spoke to, to Ruth and I as a couple about uh, where we should be going as a church over this next season, about the, the vision that he's put on our hearts and the calling that he's put on, on our lives as a local church. And then, and then just five values that we've put in place to help us to, to work through that and to achieve uh, essentially that calling on our lives. And, and that calling is quite simply to love God and to love people. It's nothing uh, revelationary, really. It's, it's born out of the second greatest commandment that, that God, sorry, the first two greatest commandments that God gives us to love him and then to love our neighbor. And then out of that, we've put in place these five values. Firstly, to pursue the heart of God and then to help people to recognize their God-given purpose, to bring hope to our community, to restore the brokenhearted, and then finally to create a culture of generosity. So over the past few weeks, we've been speaking into these values. And, and last week, Ruth spoke about helping people to to find their God-given purpose. And hopefully, if you were here, you found that beneficial. And don't forget that there's uh, some questionnaires that you can fill in to help you on that journey if you're a bit unclear. It also helps us as a church to get to know a little bit more about you, about your heart, about your passions, about your experience, about what it is that God might be calling you to do in this local church if you call Hope Church your home. And what I love about what God's placed on our hearts is that hopefully you're seeing kind of a natural flow through it all. There's kind of a journey that we're going on because, you know, firstly, we looked at pursuing the heart of God, didn't we? We looked at seeking first the kingdom above all else. And, and actually, as we seek first the kingdom, as we pursue the heart of God, he then begins to reveal to us who we are and whose we are, and out of that comes something of an understanding of our purpose. You see, because we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. We are sons and daughters of the Creator of the heavens and the earth, and He has a purpose for each and every one of us. He's got a purpose for each and every one of us, and I, I believe that He's placed us on this earth to do something for Him. He's placed us on this earth to work with him to advance his kingdom. But not only has he placed us on this earth, he's placed us in this town. And not only has he placed us in this town, he's placed us here at this precise moment. Because right now, there is something that each and every one of us is supposed to be doing as we work in partnership with God to, to work to advance his kingdom to see the lost saved, to see the broken made whole. He's got a purpose for each and every one of us. And, and Ruth shared our heart last week about wanting to help people discover their God-given purpose. Because when you are living to purpose, when you are walking in the plans and purposes that God's put on your heart and, and that fill you with passion and enthusiasm, actually, when you're walking in step with God, in that way, there is no greater feeling of fulfillment, of satisfaction, of being close and in step with God. So it's really important to, to do that and to understand that. And so if you haven't filled out one of those questionnaires, then see Ruth after the service and she'll give you one and she'll talk you through it. 
just a little bit of a practical point on that. I had a, a few people tell me that there's been some technical issues around that, and I don't think it's just to do with age. It's to do with the system. So if you're working through the system, uh, there's an online questionnaire first, and, uh, and you get to the end. It should be asking you for your email address and your name, and hopefully nothing more than that. If there's anything else on there, if there's no little asterisk next to it, you don't need to give it to the system. But it's not going to spam you. It's not asking for your details so that they can send you emails on a regular basis. It's so that you get your results and you can keep them. That's it. So there's no kind of pressure in, in kind of giving them your data and then abusing it and you finding yourself receiving an abundance of phone calls, asking your opinions on all kinds of things. It's just so that you can get your results. And then what we'd like to do is book in some appointments with you. So once you've gone through that process of filling in the online questionnaire, on the sheet, there's also some more in-depth written questions. So we'd encourage you to fill those out. And then after that, we'd love Ruth and I to sit down with you in an informal setting and just talk through what your passions are, what your hearts are, what your experience is, and, and get to know you that little bit more so that we can work together to find out how you may best be fitted into serving this house because it's important to serve the kingdom of God in that way. So there's no pressure in that, but if you'd like to have a chat with Ruth after the service, and that'd be great. Okay, so this morning, I'm going to be looking at the value of bringing hope to the community. Bringing hope to the community. It's something that we feel is vitally important as Christians, as followers of Christ, as believers, that we need to not just keep this good news to ourselves, but we need to break out of these walls and to share the love of Christ with the people in our community. And we do that through being the hands and the feet of Jesus by loving on our community. And uh, um, so we're going to get into that a little bit this morning. But before we jump into that, um, what I want to do is just look at the, the simple question, what is hope? What is hope? I think if we're going to take hope into our community, we need to understand what it is. What does it mean? And get that kind of solid grounding, that understanding of true biblical hope so that we can then be effective when we step out of these walls and begin to bring some of that hope to our community. Now, when I was studying this week, I found this phrase that I really like about uh, describing what hope looks like. And this person said, hope is like a reservoir of emotional strength. Hope is like a reservoir of emotional strength. And I'm just going to read this little paragraph that they wrote. If I'm put down... I look to the emotional reservoir of hope for the strength to return good for evil. Without hope, I have no power to absorb the wrong and walk in love. And I sink into self-pity and self-justification. If I experience a setback in my plans, I get sick or, or things go wrong and, and don't go the way I'd hoped for in my job, for example, I look to the emotional reservoir of hope for the strength to keep on going and to not give up. If I face temptation to be dishonest or steal or lie or lust, I look to the emotional reservoir of hope for the strength to hold fast to the way of righteousness, to deny myself some brief unsatisfying pleasure. 
I love that. I love the idea of having this emotional reservoir of hope, this pool that we can just dip into whether when we're struggling, when we're feeling down, when we're battling temptation, whatever it is that we can just draw from this reservoir of pure hope and love and joy. You know, we use the word hope, don't we, in, in all kinds of ways, and it, it almost loses its meaning a little bit, doesn't it? You know, my kids might say, I hope daddy gets home from work soon so that we can play Lego before dinner. That's probably something that they would say because they love to play Lego. Or we might say, well, I hope I get the job that I've got an interview for. Or we might say that this year, I hope that I meet the love of my dreams. We say this word hope in a whole manner of ways, but I don't believe that it's the same as the true biblical meaning of hope. You see, the distinctive meaning of hope in Scripture is almost the opposite of the way we use the word hope. And I don't mean that we use the word hope to desire for something bad to happen. That's not what I mean when I say the opposite. It's the opposite in the sense that ordinarily, when we say I hope for something, we're hoping out of a place of uncertainty. We're saying I hope this thing might happen. I hope this thing might come to pass. But actually, we're not confident in the fact that it will. We're not certain of what the outcome might look like. So we're saying, I hope that this thing will happen, but there's no certainty within us. But that's not the distinctive biblical meaning of hope. You see, biblical hope is not just a desire for something good in the future. It's a confident expectation and a desire for something good in the future. There's that feeling of confidence that comes with true biblical hope. There's a certainty in true biblical hope. So when we hope for something in God, when we hope for something based on his word, we can have this confident expectation, this absolute certainty that it will come to pass. In Hebrews chapter 6, verses 10 to 11, after after warning the readers about uh, people who sometimes live by faith but then deny it and turn away, the author then encourages them with this message of perseverance. In Hebrews 6, chapter 10, it says, He will not forget how hard you have worked for him, and you have shown your love to him by caring for other believers as you still do. And that little phrase, those four words at the end, as you still do, are demonstrating that there's some element of perseverance in the way that they're living. He sees how they're loving people, he sees how they're living for him, and he recognizes that there's a, a perseverance, there's a persistence in this, as you still do. And he continues this message of encouraging their, their perseverance in this with another warning. Keep on loving. Don't give up or slow down or lose your passion. And then in the ESV it says, to have the full assurance of hope until the end. So there's this warning. You're living and you're loving passionately. <clears throat> you're living and you're loving as Jesus would love other people. But don't give up. Don't grow tired. Don't grow weary. Don't grow complacent in living in that way. Keep on doing it. Keep on having that passion. 
keep on living and loving in that way with the full assurance of hope until the end. With the full assurance of hope until the end. You see, a confident hope, this certain hope, is not wishful thinking. It's not crossing your fingers and, and hoping that it might come to pass. It's not biting your lip and feeling that sense of uncertainty about what's going to happen. A confident hope is a certain hope. We recognize that God is all-powerful, that he is greater than us, that he can do far more than we could ever ask or imagine. So when we are walking with him and when we are asking for things in line with Scripture, we can have a confident and a certain hope. And then later on in the, in the book of Hebrews, we see that actually this kind of hope is in partnership and it comes with faith. It requires faith. In chapter 10, we read, let us go right into the presence of God with a true heart in full assurance of faith. So we're entering into the presence of God, as I believe we did this morning as we were praising and worshipping him. We were entering into the presence of God with a full assurance of hope. You see, when we enter into the presence of God and we're saying, God, do you know what? I'm facing this, this circumstance. I'm facing this difficulty. I need healing in my life. I need more resource. I need the people around me to begin to respect me. Whatever it is that you need this morning as we enter into the presence of God with that true assurance of faith, we can have a certain hope that he will hear us, that he will answer, that he will respond. And then it goes on in the next verse. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. I love that encouragement there. It's that, that hope should never waver. That we shouldn't falter. That we shouldn't uh, quiver in that sense. That we shouldn't uh, doubt ourselves or even doubt God because he is far greater than we are. He is a heavenly being and we are just earthly vessels. So our hope shouldn't waver because it's rooted in faithfulness. See there again we're seeing this partnership of faith and hope working together in order to give us the confidence that we should have in Jesus. And then in chapter 11 again of Hebrews, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen. It's a verse that we know and we, we perhaps spout off quite regularly if you've been a Christian for a long time, that, that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. It means that, so we were at a prayer meeting last night at the Salvation Army, the Citadel in Blackpool, and, and the first kind of section of prayer within that meeting was that we should pray vision, that we as a, in a small group should get together and think, what would we love to see in our churches? If there were no financial restrictions, if there were no people restrictions, if we genuinely had the full power and resource of heaven, what would we like to see happen in our churches? And we prayed into that. 
with no holds barred, with no doubt, with no question, with absolute certainty that as we marry faith and hope together, we can believe for these incredible things. And so we're praying these bold prayers, these prayers that actually if we looked at it in our humanity, we would be like, heck no, is this going to happen? There is absolutely no way that a church of 40 people can have such an impact on the community that actually if we were to be taken away, they would sense that something was missing. But we were praying with that kind of hope, that absolute certainty as we married faith and hope together that we could believe that God would do these things in his name because we're walking in line with him we're believing the word of scripture to say that actually God can do far more than we could ever ask or imagine now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen what are you believing for this morning what is it that you're not seeing yet in the physical but perhaps you can believe by faith to see in the spiritual. You see, when we have visions, when we see things through God's eyes in the future, we begin to see things that are actually not seen and we can have that assurance of hope and that confidence in him that things will come to pass. You could paraphrase that verse, wherever there is full assurance of hope, there is faith. And faith is the full assurance of hope. You see, biblical faith is this confident expectation and a desire for good things in the future. We all want good things in the future, don't we? I don't imagine there's anyone here this morning hoping for something bad to happen down the line. We all want good things in the future. But what this verse is saying is that where you marry faith and hope together, we can have a confident expectation that God will come through, that we will see that good result in the end. So I hope that that gives us a good foundation about what biblical hope really is. When we ask the question, what is hope? Well, that's what I think it means. So with the time that we've got left, I just want to look at this third core value of bringing hope to the community, because I believe in my heart that God has spoken a word into our lives that we are to be a church that brings hope to our community. You know, I firmly believe that the local church is the hope of the world. The local church is the hope of the world. And, and that might seem like a big, bold statement. So why don't we just break it down into something that's maybe a little bit easier to swallow. I believe that Hope Church Lytham is the hope of our community. I believe that we as a local church, as well as other churches, I'm not just saying we're greater than them, but I believe that we as a local church can be the hope to Lytham St. Anne's and the Fylde area. If we would grasp hold of this true understanding of biblical hope and we take it outside of these walls, we can be the hope to our community. I hope you believe that too this morning. Let me read to you from uh, Matthew chapter 25 starting at verse 31. And in, in my Bible, this passage is headed, the final judgment. It says this, But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as, shepherd, as a shepherd separates the sheep 
from the goats, and he will place the sheep on his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. And then the righteous ones will reply in utter confusion, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you in sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. You were doing it to me. <clears throat> you know, I've mentioned before that, that last year I had a strong feeling uh, from God. He gave me a word when I was, I was away for a week residential at Mattersea Bible College. And, and I just spent some time that week seeking his face and saying, God, what is it that you want for our church? What is your vision for Hope Church Lytham? And he spoke to me that we are to be a church that is needed by our community, a church that is needed by our community. And, and as we've shared with you over these past few weeks about the, the fresh vision and values for this church, I don't believe in any way that that negates what God spoke to me last summer. Because it all stems from loving God to then loving people. And as we love people, we become that church that is needed by our community. And I firmly believe that as I dug, dug deeper into that word from God, what does that really look like? How does that practically work out in our lives as a church? I believe that he was saying to me that actually if, if we were to be removed, if we were to pack up shop and go home, that there would be a noticeable space, that people would miss us, not because we were great to be around and we, we gave them lots of money or anything like that, but actually because we resourced our community, we brought them hope, we brought them love, and we showed them something that they can't find anywhere else, that they can only find through relationship and love of Jesus. So this idea, this value, is born out of the calling on our lives to love people. You see, God said, didn't he, that the greatest commandment is to love him and the second is like it, to love your neighbor, to love other people. And that phrase, love your neighbor, is found nine times in scripture. Nine times. And it was such an important part of, of God's vision for the church that he made it a command. He didn't just say, this is something I think you should do. This is something that might be nice if you lived out. He said, this is the second greatest commandment, that you should love your neighbor. So we probably shouldn't ignore it, should we? You know, we come to church on a Sunday and we love God. And I pray and hope that you do that on other days of the week as well, that you are loving God and seeking God and spending time in his presence and building that relationship with him. That is the first and greatest commandment, that we should love him with everything that we have. But then the second is like it. And that's what this value speaks into, that we should love our neighbor. 
that we should love people, that we should love on those around us. You know, I love church. I love coming into this building. I love spending time with you guys as people. I love worshiping God corporately and together. I love to listen to what people are saying and to what they feel God is speaking into their lives. But we cannot contain this message within these four walls. It cannot stay in this building because the building is not the church. We are the church. We are the church, so we need to take this good news. We need to take this message of salvation and love and freedom and be so filled with the passion that burns from knowing that and from having that relationship with our Heavenly Father that we can't contain ourselves from breaking out of this building and telling other people about Him. You know, I think that perhaps we can be a little bit guilty of living like GPs in our comfortable surgery. We sit here in our church building and we expect the sick to come to us. If you want healing, I can give you healing. You just need to come and ask for it. If you need some provision, if you need some resource, if you need peace and comfort and hope and strength, well, we're here as our qualified doctors sitting in our comfortable building. All you need to do is enter in and ask us for help, make an appointment, wait longer than you're expecting to, finally get called into our room, we'll listen to your problems, we'll look back at our manual, and then we'll give you the answer to your problem. Well, that's not the way that God wants us to live. God wants us to be the paramedics, jumping in our ambulances and racing out to meet the people where they're at, to take this good news to them. Not to expect them to come to us, but to take it to them. To take it out to the people where they are and where they need the help. You know, I read something the other day that said, we're human beings, not human doings. We're human beings, not human doings. It makes you think that, doesn't it? Well, how about if we apply that to church? Are we doing church or are we being church? You see, we're called to be the church, not to do church. It's pretty easy to do church, isn't it? You see, for those of us who have done church for a long time, we know what's expected of us, don't we? We know what time to arrive. We know how to say hello to people. We know that when they ask us how we're doing, we just say that we're fine. And then we go and find our seats because we don't want to get too deep. We'll have our cup of coffee. We know when to stand up and sing. We know when to sit down and listen. We know who sits where within the building. We know exactly how to respond to the, the word that's being spoken. We're experts at doing church, aren't we? But are we experts at being church? Because we were called to be the church, not just to do church. I can tell you that we spend a lot of time and effort doing church. You know, as a leadership team, we plan and prepare so that we can do church well. Because I recognize that doing church well is important. Don't hear me wrong this morning. Doing this 
gathering together corporately, entering into praise and worship of our Heavenly Father, sharing the gospel, sharing uh, challenging and encouraging words born out of Scripture is important. So it's good that we spend the time doing church, but that cannot be our primary focus. That cannot be all we exert our energy doing. If we're giving everything that we are and everything that we have to doing church, we've missed the point because we are here to be church. You know, we, we talk about tithing in this church. We recognize that, that actually the biblical principle of giving 10% of your income into the local house is important. But if we spend all of the money that we gave into this church to do church, to pay for this building, to give us all cake and coffee, to pay the wages, if all of the money was spent on doing church, we've missed the point because we're called to be the church. So as you invest of your finances into this house, I pray that we will be responsible with that money, with that finance, in order to use it to bring hope to our community because we're called to be the church, not just do church. You see, Jesus said, didn't he, I will build my church. And do you think when he said, I will build my church, that he thought it would look like this? That he thought it would look like sometimes fancy buildings with tall spires and stained glass windows and organs that are gathering dust and, and all of that? Do you think that's what he thought that it would look like when he said, I will build my church? Do you think that he envisaged it would be somewhere to go or do you think it would be something to do? He said, I will build my church. And then he followed that by saying, and the power of hell will not prevail. I will build my church and it will be so powerful that no schemes of the devil, no uh, weapon of the enemy, no power of hell will be able to stop my church being church, being church, not doing church. An author by the name of N.T. Wright describes the church like this. The church is first and foremost a community, a collection of people who belong to one another because they belong to God, the God we know in and through Jesus. And then he goes on to say what the church is for. He says, the church exists for two closely correlated purposes, to worship God and to work for his kingdom in the world. You can and must worship and work for God's kingdom in private and in ways that are unique to yourself. But if the kingdom is to go forward rather than around and around in circles, we must work together as well as apart. We need to work together as well as a part. And it's just like Ruth was talking about last week that she was sharing into, into that vision about understanding our God-given purpose is that actually we all have a part to play. We all have something that God is calling us to do and, and each part is different to the next. No one, is you, no one is the same as the person next to them. No one is the same as someone else in this room. We're all unique. We all have our own skills and abilities and experiences and passions and hearts and we all have something that we are called to do. The church gathered is powerful. The church together is powerful. The church in unity is powerful. 
And yet doing church on Sundays is often all we do. We just do church. But if we're to bring hope to the community, if we're to fulfill this, uh, this call and this value for our church, it requires a lifestyle of worship and witness that extends beyond doing church. It extends beyond just gathering together corporately on a Sunday. Being the church doesn't stop when you drive away from this building. Being the church doesn't stop when you get home. Being the church doesn't stop when you walk through the doors of your work. Being the church doesn't stop ever. We are the church. Once you belong to God through faith in Jesus, you always belong to his church. You are his church. The church, when functioning as it was intended to, is so powerful that no schemes of the devil, no power of hell can come against it. There is nothing that can stop us when we are being church in the way that God has called us to be church. We as a church are a force to be reckoned with because we have a calling, we have a mission, we have a purpose and we have every power and authority in heaven to press in to those dark places, to press into the places that need Jesus the most and to say, I am the church and I am going to be the church right here because I serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the Prince of Peace and the creator of the heavens and the earth. So nothing that the devil tries to do to stop us can stop us being the church. How? If we pursue the heart of God. If we recognize our calling and our purpose. You see this journey that we're going on as we work through these values for this house. As we pursue the heart of God. As we seek first his kingdom. He'll begin to reveal to us who we are and whose we are and he'll highlight to us our purpose and our calling on this earth and then he releases us with his power, with his authority to break out of these walls and begin to bring some hope to our community. You see, in, in the, the famous Sermon on the Mount, Jesus describes us, his followers, as the light of the world. He says no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. No, not at all. What we do is we light a lamp and we put it on a hill for everyone to see. Well, if we stay within these four walls, if we praise God and worship God and, and pursue his heart, but only within these four walls, we're lighting that lamp and we're putting it under a basket. What we need to do is get caught on fire for God and then step outside of these walls. And as we step outside of these walls and into our workplaces and into our friendship groups and as we meet people in the streets, whatever it is that we're doing, we begin to shine this light so brightly that we're fulfilling the call and the purpose of God in our lives. You know, I think sometimes a lack of self-worth can stop us from, from being that light in our community. Sometimes doubting our own abilities and gifts, as we've talked about already, can be the, the barrier and the blockage and, and the thing that causes us to want to just stay inside the safety of church. It's safe, isn't it, when we just spend our time around 
Christians. We used to call it a Christian bubble, and we spent our lives within this bubble because it was safe. And when you pop that bubble and you begin to interact with people that don't know Jesus and they perhaps recognize something in you that's different and you're called different, it makes us feel a bit uncomfortable. It makes us feel a bit awkward. It makes us feel like we're doing something wrong maybe because we're not living the way that the world lives. We're living the way that God calls us to live. But those feelings of self-doubt or self-worth or confusion, they're just an enemy and a scheme of the devil. They're just something that he's using to stop us from recognizing our potential as we live in his will and his purpose for our lives. So we're called to pursue the heart of God with all that we are, with everything that we have, with everything that we do, not only to get a greater revelation of who he is, but also that we can see us through his eyes. I think that's important because actually that can be the answer to our self-doubt and that confusion because we're looking at ourselves through human eyes. We're looking at ourselves and we're questioning whether we're good enough. We're, we're picking up on physical flaws or, or, or the skills that we haven't got that we want. But when we look through God's eyes, when we look at ourselves through his eyes, we see perfection. We see a person of purpose, a person of promise. You see, God knit us together in our mother's womb, and, and it says in that verse of Scripture that actually he saw every one of our days before it even began. He created you, and he saw the potential that you have. So when you're doubting yourself or you're feeling confusion or you're feeling anything that stops you from living out the call and the purpose of God in your, in your own life. Pursue his heart. Pursue his heart. Seek his kingdom, and he will give you a glimpse of how he sees you. He'll give you a glimpse of how he sees you. And let me close with this, because if you're in any doubt whatsoever of how much God loves you, all we need to do is look to the cross. All we need to do is look to Jesus because God so loved the world. And in that, he means God so loved you. God so loved me that he sent his only son to die for us so that we can be forgiven for everything we've done wrong, everything we will do wrong, and that we can have relationship with him, that we can walk with him that we can partner with him in his plans and his purposes for our lives. We just need to look to the cross. We just need to look to Jesus. Why don't we pray? Father God, I just thank you for your love. I thank you for everything that you have done in my life and in our lives as a church. I thank you that you've called us to be a people who seek first the kingdom of God, and then as we seek first your kingdom, you will begin to reveal to us who we are through your eyes. And out of that, we can, we can get this confident hope, this absolute certainty that as we walk in line with your scripture, as we walk in partnership with you, we can be the hope that this community needs. We can be the hope that this community needs. 
whether it's through the things that we're doing already, our coffee morning, the toddler groups, the alpha course, whatever it is, whether it's things that you've got planned for us in the future, and I pray that there are amazing things in our future that we can use to bring hope to this community. But whatever it is, as long as we're walking in partnership with you, as long as we're keeping our eyes fixed on you, that we will fulfill the plans and purposes you've got for our lives, that we can have that absolute certain hope that you will come through, that you are with us, that you are for us in everything we do. In Jesus' name, amen.